Keenum Mall were just standing right there. Oh my gosh. And I was like, hi. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Like, wonderful movie. I didn't, ex- and then I just started rambling. I just, just like rambling. word vomit. Like, so underdressed. I thought this was just a regular WGA screening, and it's yeah. not. And I'm wearing a sweater from TJ Maxx, and I <laughs> ran into Anna Wintour in the bathroom. And he just started laughing, and he uh-huh. goes, TJ Maxx, Amal's dress is from TJ Maxx, too. It was not, but it was like a joke. And so we're all like, ha, 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 that's so funny. Oh, and I'm so like, funny. oh, my God, that's so crazy. Today, I'm joined by the one, the only, Julia Yorks. Julia Yorks is a real life, breathing, making money screenwriter, okay? She's like actually doing this full time. First, I got to ask you the preliminary question to make sure that you're qualified to be on the show. Okay, great. And if you answer incorrectly, you do indeed have to leave. (laughs) Um, So the the question is, do you know what you're doing? Not a clue. Okay. Do you check box? You're good to go. Um, but you do know how to write a damn good script, and we're going to get into that. Julia started her screenwriting career over a decade ago as a staff writer on The Adventures of Puss in Boots. Since then, she's written over 40 episodes of kids' animated television across a dozen shows, including Trolls, The Beat Goes On, Skylanders Academy, and Strawberry Shortcake. In 2019, she sold an original live-action sci-fi show to Freeform, and her comedy feature, One Up, was released on Amazon Prime in 2021. Julia currently has numerous feature projects in development with production company and studios like Churnin, Netflix, Black Bear, and Star Thrower. She's also, casually, an actress, most recently appearing in an episode four of this season of Law & Order, and it airs tomorrow. It airs tonight. Oh, it airs tonight. It airs tonight. Oh my gosh, so we're filming this on February 8th? Yeah, so it airs on February 8th. So by the time this is out, you can go see Julia in a casual episode of Law & Order, which is so funny because their costume department is is in this building. Is in this building. Which dun, is crazy. Dun. That's, yeah. Done, done. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, I would also like to mention that Law & Order is currently my winter depression show. So... <sighs> you got a lot of episodes. So I, there's no... <laughs> my husband's like, how are there still episodes? All you do is watch Law & Order every single night. And I'm like... That's why. It was very tough to DVR yeah. this episode oh. because I had to, there is an there is at least one episode of Law & Order airing every hour oh on multiple channels. So I literally had to <laughs> find, find it. it was, I, I couldn't just type in Law & Order because oh my, I, my DVR would be full. My goal in life was to like get into the Dick Wolf family. Yeah. And oh, so this Dick is Wolf. my, the Dick Wolf family. It's, to get dun, into dun. the Dick Wolf universe is like, Every actor's dream, and so yeah. I'm very excited that I got to dip a toe into it. That's, I'm so I can't even tell it's you life goals, but I will say SVU is like my dream. Oh, I have, SVU is everyone's dream. It's my dream. Marishka is on my vision board for okay. for 2024. So they were filming outside this oh. window last week, and I cannot like you have to ask my husband. I was like staring out the window <laughs> all day, and I was like, if I see Marishka, I will literally burst out into tears. I recently learned that she is like the longest, or you would know probably the longest female character on yeah. TV. She's been on TV for 25 years as Olivia Benson. And she doesn't look it. She looks She looks fantastic. fantastic. She really does. And the character to me doesn't get old. No. And also I think that it's such a testament to her um, and also just brilliant because a lot of actors or actresses would would be like, "Oh, I'm done playing this yeah, character." I'm over it. Yeah. She is raking in. She just the dough. Oh my gosh, I so, looked up how much money she makes I, and I was like, do it for the next 25 years, Marishka. That's that's what the people want. Also, iced tea. Iced tea. He's been doing it just <laughs> as long. He has. It's actually <laughs> insane. So the two of them together, like yeah. do it until you're season 100. It yep. just keep riding that. That's and the goal. It's funny, like as a screenwriter, you must admire, or at least I admire how she's developed the character. But just like you said, it never gets old. Yet every episode is the exact same. Yeah. Well, that's what's so great. I mean, one of my, this, I'm sure this is for later, but one of my biggest advice pieces of advice for newer emerging screenwriters is like don't poo-poo procedurals because that is where the money is network Mm -hmm. television and you know if you can be a staff like imagine being a writer on law and order svu for 25 seasons you are make and make and that's the goal so that's the is that like the most sustainable way to make a lot of money as a screenwriter yes Yes. it is incredibly difficult to make a lot of money as a screenwriter it is easier to make you know it's a very feast or famine business whenever I talk about the financials of screenwriting I do <laughs> this with my hands and yeah. people who know know because it is like it's it's just a really tough it's a really tough business and 
what is sustainable, what is more stable would be to be on a long running show, which yeah. they don't happen as much anymore. Yeah. But we'll those network that. procedurals that run for 23 episodes a season, yeah. that run for 25 seasons, yeah. that's what you want. Um, and then also, if you have a movie that not only gets bought, but mm-hmm. gets made, mm, which is so rare, which is very rare, very as rare. you know, mm-hmm. um, it and then that makes money, then you make money. You make a percent, you make yeah. money when it goes into production, you make a percent of the production budget, yeah. usually with a cap, and then you also make money if it makes money. This is something I love about Julia is that she's extremely <laughs> transparent about everything, and I didn't even finish reading your bio before we got so obsessed <laughs> with Law & Order, but she's also a content creator on TikTok and Instagram, yeah. and she's a screenwriting coach. And she gives the most practical, real-world advice you just keep it so real. You talk, you even, she has a series on TikTok where she shows her residual checks. <laughs> um, okay, so I like to do a little little fire round at the beginning just so we can all get to know you and where you're from and your background. So question number one is where did you grow up? I grew up in New Hope, Pennsylvania. It is, it sounds very cute, um, <laughs> but it is, a, a, it is cute. It's a little quaint town um, about 45 minutes outside of Philly. What did your parent or parents do for a living growing up? So my dad was a carpenter um, and my mom was a special ed teacher in Philly. And, and then they both kind of pivoted over the years. And mm-hmm. now my mom is actually um, a talent agent in <gasps> Philadelphia. Look at that. I know. It's so funny because it's almost like reverse nepotism because I was a <laughs> child actress. And she decided she wanted to do it after I had yeah. done it for years and years. But it, it's, you know, it's, it's really cool to see that you can kind of reinvent yourself at any so age. So inspiring. Yeah, she's killing it. Okay, next question. Did you go to college? And if so, what did you study? I went to college. I went to two colleges. Ooh, funky. I went to Northwestern for a year. Actually, I took a year off okay. in between high school and college. Mm. Um, and I moved out to LA because I was going to audition. Oh. And, um, I was so excited. I got all out there. And the year was 2007. Nice. Good timing. Yeah. The writer's strike. For those of you who didn't know, there was a writer's strike in 2007, 2008. And it was a really tough year because all of my friends were at college. And I was like working at um, the BLT Steak. It's a restaurant that was, you know, on the Sunset Strip at 18 with no friends. So it was really tough. Not the year that I thought it would be. Character building year. Good for the script. Good for the plot. Character building year for sure. (laughs) Um, And and yeah, so then I went to Northwestern after that year. Mm -hmm. And I was a theater major. And I loved the people. But I was so cold. Oh, so cold. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I had never spent much time in Chicago. Yeah. Um, the hairs in your nose freeze. <laughs> like, the hair on your head freezes if it's wet. Your eyelashes stick together. Like, mm. I've never experienced cold like that before in my life. Yeah. I was sick all the time. Mm-hmm. And so then I transferred to USC wow. where it was warm. And beautiful. And, and everybody's and, happy and tan and yeah. healthy. And- what was your first job? <laughs> My first job was probably being a kid actor. And uh, what is your current job? So currently I am a a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. um, Right now I have a gig where I was hired to write a script for a production company. Cool. I'm really excited about it. And and yeah, and then I also do script uh, coaching, screenwriting Mm -hmm. coaching on the side. I still act like the the law and order. And yeah, so everything is uh, kind of like a freelance yeah gig for me which is which is can be tough yeah but also it's very flexible I assume that you always wanted to work in film because you started as a kid yeah is that like where you fell in love with the film industry as a little kid yeah I always wanted to be an actor that okay. was what I always wanted to do and yeah. because I started at such a young age it actually felt like one of those tangible things that you yeah. could do um and it is really crazy on my year off when I moved out to LA I had met up with a manager before from the East Coast who I was hoping would represent me when I came out to L.A. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, she said, there are a million girls in L.A. who are prettier than you and skinnier than you. Go to college. And it was at the time, again, you're too young for this, but it was at the time when Jennifer Love Hewitt had like her bikini photo had been plastered on the cover of People and she spoke out and was like, I'm a size 
for and what you're doing to women in this industry is insane. And people started rallying behind her. And so I had this like very impassioned speech that I said to this woman on the phone, (gasps) like, screw you, you're, you know, and I was very proud of myself and I hung up the phone and then I got out to LA and she was right. Everyone there, there were a million (laughs) girls there who were skinnier than me and prettier than me. And it was just like so interesting yeah. that, and then the industry shut down. So there was no real shot of me moving ahead in it anyway. And I took that year and really started focusing on writing. Yeah. It was always something that I loved to do. I interned at a production company and okay. and I would just read scripts. I mean, I was in LA by myself. Yeah. I always call it my breaking into the house metaphor. Okay. Like I couldn't get in through the door, so I climbed in a window. Okay. Because um, once you're in the house, it's a lot easier to, to move about the premises. Yeah, yeah for sure. Okay, I want to talk about your, your timeline. Okay. Real quick. Okay, so you went to LA for the remainder of college. Yeah. You graduated from USC. And then you stayed in California, right? Stayed in California. For how long? 11 years. So 11 years total, including the time I was in school. Okay. And then you moved to New York. Then I moved to New York. What was the impetus for leaving LA? My now husband got into business school Mm -hmm. um, at, at NYU. And so it was one of those things where you're kind of like choosing what your future is going to look like. And yeah. also I will say at the time that was the year I had sold a show to free form, um, which is exciting. Yeah. But I was worried the development was all remote. Yeah. Um, and, okay. and so I was like, great, let's do it. So we moved. Okay. And as soon as we got here, I was like, I have made a terrible mistake. I had to keep flying out. It was so expensive. Things were not remote. There were no generals. Like it it was very, um, you had to be in person. And I remember I, on one of my trips out, I flew out to LA and my agent dropped me when I got out there. Hadn't set up any meetings, but dropped me when I was there. And then also I had one meeting that I had set for myself that I was really excited about. Yeah. And it was on the Warner Brothers lot. And so I pull up in my rented car, more money, but, and, and I pull up and they said, Oh, um, we don't have you on the list. My meeting in the time that I had driven from Santa Monica to the Warner Brothers lot had been canceled. Oh my gosh. Classic film industry. So not only did I lose my reps that trip, but I didn't the one the one meeting that I really wanted to go to I didn't get to go and um and then it was COVID and I was like oh my god my career's over I'm never yeah and it actually you know all yeah everything aside it, it it benefited I think a lot of people in that you didn't have to be in LA anymore yeah in order to make your mark and and I that's we can talk about that more too about what if you should start in LA, like again, I'd been there for 11 years. Yeah. What do you think about that? I think if you want to do television, I think you need to be in LA. Okay. I think if you are young and out of college, go find a group of friends in college who all want to go together, who all want to be in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Ideally one wants to be an agent, one wants to be an executive and you can all kind of rise up together and help each other. Um, I think it gets a lot harder if you're someone who has maybe already had a career. Yeah. Um, okay. To want to move to LA and, and be a, yeah. a PA that's not really feasible when you're in your 30s and yeah. 40s. I think what makes it so difficult is that there's no one clear path. Yeah. And everybody had a different path. Everybody had a different path. And yeah. that makes it exciting for people because, for sure. you know, oh, I can do it too, but it also makes it insanely difficult to make it Yeah, because there is no path. Yeah. You know, like my friends went to business school, they yeah. applied for the consulting internship, they got in, boom, 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 you know, two years, you figure out what you're going to yep. do. And it's, it's not like that at all with screenwriting. You have to be scrappy. You yeah. do have to be scrappy and you have to hustle and you have to be able to deliver mm-hmm. um, and be resilient in the face yeah. of rejection. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, you as a screenwriter have faced reject. Anybody has re- yeah. faced rejection. Um, how how do you deal with rejection? You know what's so interesting is I'm I'm a very sensitive person in general, mm-hmm. um, but in terms of professional rejection. I have learned really just to not take it personally. Uh There have only been, I think, two jobs in the past 
six years yeah. where it was like <laughs> gut punch when I didn't yeah. get them. Everything else, it's okay. Maybe I, t- maybe I watch an hour of Law and Order <laughs> and then I say, all right, I gotta, I gotta keep going. Gotta keep going. And, and I think that's what it is. And, and I really do believe that I, look, this, somebody told me many, many years ago that this industry, screenwriting, entertainment in general, I think, is yeah. really about patience, of mm-hmm. which I don't have much of. Me neither. But, <laughs> but it's about who sticks it out. Yeah. Like, if you stick around long enough and you have the goods, yeah. you will get there. Yeah. And because a lot of people can't stick around, and I don't blame them, it's, it's you know, financial drain. It's yeah. the instability. If you, you know, I'm 35, I'm starting to think about having a family and, and how that works with kind of, you know, it's not like I have paid parental leave, yes. especially if I'm not working. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's really tough. Yeah. But I also can't, one, I can't see myself doing anything else. Like, I love doing this, and I know that I'm really good at it. Yeah. But also, like, during the strike, I tried. I was like, okay, cool. Let me see if I can apply for other jobs. And um, I guess writing scripts isn't really translatable to <laughs> a lot of jobs. I mean, for me, the narrative is, you know, I help brands tell stories. You do. Be yeah. it a brand. Anything is telling a story. Yeah. yeah. Be it a brand that, you know, is is Netflix or, um, you know, I've done some ad work and, and things yeah. like that. But it, uh, yeah, I think a lot of writers during the strike kind of found, um, oh, yeah. I, w- what else can I do? So for me, there? while that is scary, it's also like, well, I have no choice. This has to work. You just have to be scrappy. And I'm good at being scrappy. But what I'm not good at is like schmoozing. I think it's so interesting because like I'm an extroverted introvert. Okay. I, um. Tell me about that. I recharge by being alone. Okay. I need my only child time. So I'm draining you right now. No, Just draining no. the life out of no, you. No, but I mean, like, this is so, it's so nice. But, like, in order to recharge, like, I need to kind of replenish my social battery. I'm the exact same way. Mm-hmm. But what I am good at is being very, um, like, amenable and easy to work with. Ooh, yeah. So if, you know, someone comes to me with an idea, yep. I am very flexible. I'm not... Um, I have a vision, yeah. but, and I, it's not like that vision gets compromised, but I'm yeah. really good at taking notes yeah. and trying to mold it. Cause oh, the, what a skill though. Well, but being the, able to take feedback, but you have to, and yeah. the way that I look at this job is whoever is paying me as the client, Yeah, a production company, a studio, they're the client Yep. and, or if we have a director attached and it's my job to give them what they want. Yep. And, and I have the creative ideas, but if it's not what they want, yeah. You know, I, it's it's kind of like a big puzzle, and you have to yeah. say, how do I how do I give you what you think that you want, yeah. even though I know it's might be wrong. Yeah, but I I give it to you in a way where everyone says, yeah. oh great, it's problem solving. I think, well, the entirety of the film industry is problem solving. Yeah, like every single job in the film industry is just problem solving, and making films is problem solving. That's all it is is just Sisyphus. But I think you're touching on a really important point that I also adopt as a freelance video editor. Is like, I'm not just here to edit videos for you. I'm here to like alleviate your stress on like yeah. this unedited video. I always say like, do great work and be great to work with. And mm. I think that's a differentiator between like a creative that really makes it as a creative I and a creative that, that doesn't. Yeah, I love that. It also was so interesting. This is a little side note, but when I was just on Law & Order, mm-hmm. um, it was so, and I can say this now because this will air after it has already Yay. aired. Um, <laughs> I die. I'm not a special victim, but you I am. Tell me you were I'm, spoil a, it. I'm a victim. Sorry. It's you'll see it. I, you've already seen it at this point. Um, and so, yeah, it's those that you meet me, and then I die, oh and then they have like a quippy little thing at the end, which I love. The format of Law and Order Originals yeah. recipe is just so funny, um, but. It was so interested as, as I'm laying on the ground, which again is like a lifelong dream of mine to be a body on Law and Order. Oh um, very exciting. <laughs> Check that off your vision board. Oh my God, <laughs> seriously. And so, uh, but it was just so interesting because everyone on that set is an expert. Oh. Everyone is an expert. They've been doing it forever. They've been doing it forever, yep. but also everyone is an expert at their job. And I found it so interesting. Like there was a man there who was a consultant, I believe, who um, probably like a former 
former uh, army Marines okay. who was like, okay, well, if this where she's, spoiler alert, shot, <gasps> um, then then, you know, it would be like stippling like this or it would be around the blouse this way and then the makeup artist would come in and they would be like, like trying to fix it. Like, what do you think about this? And then the costume people, like it was, everyone is an expert in their field. They make it run like clockwork. And it was so interesting to me because I was like, oh, like this is, this is the entertainment industry at the highest level. Even though I think a lot of people would be like, it's a procedural. No, these are well-oiled machines. They're also making a ton of money. Making a ton of money. And Mm -hmm. you have to, if you want to be in this industry, like you have to be on that level. Yeah. But I'm curious, kind of like the more practical element for anybody watching who doesn't really know anything about the life of a screenwriter. I'm curious if you can kind of explain to people like, you're signed to an agent, you're part of the WGA, like what are those elements of your, because you are self-employed technically, but you're also part of a union. So can you explain that? Yeah, of course. So um, as a professional writer, typically you would have either an agent or a manager or or, manager manager (laughs) or both. Um, You also typically have an entertainment attorney. Okay. And they're actually the most important people in your arsenal because they get you the money. We love our lawyers. We love our lawyers. (laughs) Um, And so, but something that I think a lot of people don't realize is when I get a check in the mail or when I get a check, when I get paid, 25% of it is already gone. Yep. Agent, manager, lawyer. Boom. Gone. So that's, that's tough. Um, and they're taking it out before it comes to you. They take it out before it comes to you. Yep, same with me. And that's why a lot of writers, once you hit, and creatives, once you hit a certain level of income, you, uh, incorporate. Mm -hmm. So I'm an S corp, Mm -hmm. which means that, you know, it's just helping for tax purposes. So that's an interesting factoid. Yeah. Um, so you have like an accountant or bookkeeper. Bookkeeper. Yeah. Yeah, So that's more money that's going away. (laughs) So when you're not making, and, and look, you, as I said earlier, what you make the most money on, and, and I'm primarily in features at the moment. Okay. So what you make the most money on is if that movie goes into production. Okay. Or then if it gets made and you get it theatrically released in the back end. It's funny that people like, like a lot of, you can write a lot of stuff that never gets made, but oh it God. still gets bought. So that's a good distinction to make for most, people who don't get that. Most projects that are sold are never made. It's crazy. crazy. And and you really only make the money and get the notoriety when it gets made. And within the industry, now I'm at a place where I've worked with so many of these big companies. People have read these scripts. Also, creative execs of companies are like floating around all the time. Uh-huh. So That's I you should never burn bridges, y'all. Never. 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 So yeah. it's agents, managers, entertainment lawyers. Um, your agent and manager... Um, they serve essentially similar roles. Mm-hmm. I'm at CAA, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. Which is, CAA is like one of the top, if it not is. the top. It's amazing. It is. It's really exciting. And it took me yeah. many, many years to get there. And that's a, your writing agent, not your acting writing agent. Writing agent. Yeah. Okay. Writing agent. And so... Um, You're, do they call them a lit agent? Lit agent. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's my lit agent. And then um, I'm at RMG for management company. And I think... Typically, your agent is someone who, especially if you're at a bigger agency, Mm -hmm. they're more talking to get you like meetings. And once you get jobs, they kind of handle that. And then typically, your managers are more hands-on reading your work, kind of career development. Like if you need a good cry, call your manager. (laughs) But I feel really lucky that I feel like my agents and managers are both very hands-on. That's so, great. Um, or all, because there's multiple of them. But I, yeah. I, yeah, they're very hands-on. So. Joining the WGA, just a feather in your cap? Or do you, do you get benefits? You get benefits. Okay. You get really great health care. Um, and oh, you get great health care. Great health care. Okay. You get great health care. Look at that. I'm actually on my husband's health care, so oh. I don't even know. Okay. Because <laughs> he gets better health care. Uh, but you do get great health care. Uh, you get pension, things yeah. like that. Okay. Um, and you, there are certain rates, so you can note there are minimums. That stronger you, negotiation. Stronger negotiation. And, and you it, pay your dues every year. Your dues, and your dues are, it's like 40 bucks a quarter, but then wow. a percentage of whatever you have made that quarter. So it does, Ooh. it can add up if you're making a lot of money. But if you're making no money, then it's fine. So you, you mainly are in front of your laptop every day. Like, I was curious about, I, I think when exposing people to new careers, like, what kind of person do you think would be a good screenwriter? Is it somebody who is perfectly content sitting in front of their computer all day? Like, is that what you're doing? Yes and no, because you have to 
have some life experience or, you know, like what imbues your work with a sense of you and your writing is having, having lived experience and, and having a sense of self. So yeah, I mean, I think like a love of, of TV shows, a love of movies, a willingness to, a willingness to be self-motivated yeah and and work because to really want it yeah in the beginning no one's standing over you saying I need this script by this time yeah you have to do it yourself I'm curious the discipline the motivation how do you find the motivation to write or maybe when you get writer's block like how do you find that inspiration well writer's block I think there are always three things that I do that help me get over writer's block okay go take a walk I watch a comp of what it is I'm working on. So if I'm watching like a thriller, I'll turn on a a thriller and it kind of helps me see what they did to to solve some problems. Mm -hmm. Also taking a shower. Oh my gosh, showers. Mm -hmm. It's where all, my mom always said, take a hot shower, you'll feel better. So I'm wondering if as a screenwriter, you ever deal with imposter syndrome. I hear from a lot of people, especially in the film industry, like I don't belong here, I'm not good enough, there's so many people who are better than me. And we all know those are toxic beliefs and that we shouldn't lean into those. And yet we still do at some points. So what are your thoughts on imposter syndrome and any advice? I, every time I get hired to write a new script, I'm like, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Why did they hire me? I don't know how to do it. And then I just get over it. Like, and I know (laughs) that's not really helpful, but I'm kind of like, oh yeah, I do do know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like I, I've done a lot of the work. Again, in this career, you have to be super self-motivated and very disciplined. And I kind of just tell myself, like, knock it off. Yeah. Like, stop it. Stop it. Between working in the film industry, being a content creator, and living in New York City, like, you can't hurt my feelings anymore. Like, no one can hurt my... I, I can't be offended by anything, but I can still, like, hurt me on the inside. Yeah. Like, I'm my own worst critic. No, um, and I, I think it, it, there's just so much rejection in my professional life yeah. that I'm very sensitive to it in my personal life. Oh. Like, even, like, friends, like, are you hanging out without me? Like, oh. I get very hurt by things, and I think it's because... All of my resilience is yeah. in this career. Oh. Um, yeah. See, I'm like big crier. Out. My therapist told me I don't. She was like, when was the last time you cried? And I was like, I literally can't tell you the last time I cried. That wow. wasn't like a dog video on TikTok. For people listening, when you reference the strikes, uh, they might be familiar because they heard it all over the news. Can you just kind of give a little summary there of kind of what went down? There were two strikes, SAG and WGA. Yes. Can you explain those? Yeah. And I'm a member of both unions. So I was doubly striking, which was um, particularly rough. Mm -hmm. But um, so the Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA, they both ended up striking each for about six months, Mm -hmm. uh, some overlap. And we were striking for um, a bunch of different things. I am very proud of the unions for my personal career. It was devastating. Yeah. It was devastating. And to be honest, I don't, for me personally, at the place that I'm at right now, maybe I'll feel differently in a couple of years. If, uh, for me, it wasn't worth it. Okay. Um, which I think is kind of a controversial opinion. I'm sure lots of people feel like that though. Yeah. For me, it wasn't, it wasn't financially worth it. Mm. And, um, just from what you lost out on during that period. Yeah. 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 From, from the momentum I lost in my career, from the financial aspect. Um, I think a lot of people are still trying to recover from it. Yeah. There's, it's very scary that there's a potential next strike uh, for IOSI coming up. Like it's just, um, I think a lot of working writers felt Similarly, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of the the younger writers who yeah. are newer and the older writers who are more established and already have a lot of they money. They don't have as much to lose as you did. But in the middle, when you're still trying to hustle and the career yeah. is getting harder and harder with every passing year, it was really, it was really tough. Ugh. It was really tough, and I feel I like please don't cancel me. But I just I I'm a union girl. My like my dad was a union carpenter. My mom was a union teacher. Like, yeah. but it just. Um, it really took a toll. My mentality is that all I can do is my best yeah. in life. All I can do is my best. And I give my best because I, I want this so badly. Yeah. I want, you know, and, and, and it's a little bit, it's probably toxic. They say jump, I say how high. Yep. And, and because I, I want it and I know I can do it and, yeah. and I know I can show them. And um, when you 
the strike was so tough because that potential for yeah. things, that hope yeah. was gone. There was nothing going. Yeah. And what keeps you going in this industry is the potential that yeah. this is going to be the thing that sells, the especially hope. when you're at a level like me where you have sold a bunch of stuff and where it does look like things can go. You can build that sustainable career. Yeah. And, and I really do believe, and maybe this is naive, but I, I really do believe that if you work hard enough mm-hmm. and if you are smart enough and, and if you are good enough, right? Like, I really do believe that it yeah. can happen. Yeah. And um, and so I really try to tune out all the noise Same. about, yeah. you know, like, uh, streaming is killing the industry and, yeah. and everyone's upset. And it's like, okay, there's nothing I can do about that. It's just not very productive to me. It's like, okay, we know where the problems are. Let's find the solutions here. Yeah. And people still want movies and TV shows. They're yes. still getting made. Yes. People are still getting paid to make them. So, so why, why not it, me? You can just be one of those people. And that, that also is what delusional people say about the lottery. <laughs> So, hey, <laughs> someone's going to win it. You know, why not why me? Not me? <laughs> a lot of times people will ask me, you know, why do you live in New York? And it's really hard to describe to people who don't live here because it sounds so difficult. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. It's loud. It's dirty. It's cold. It's dark. And the people are not mean, by the way. No. They're just direct. They're not mean. <laughs> They're just direct. They say exactly how they feel in the moment, yeah. which I love. You recently had a quintessential New York City night. <laughs> and... I think everybody who doesn't understand like why anybody would ever live in New York City needs to hear this story because it is the funniest <laughs> thing. I'm so glad. Okay. So it's funny because it's an intersection of like New York and the industry. So uh, very recently I was going to a movie screening. So as a WGA member, you get invited around award season to all of these screenings of awards movies because they want you to vote for them. Mm. Um, and a lot you also get them straight to your TV. Cool. Um, so I just mostly watch them at home. Again, social battery yeah. low. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> this one in particular, I decided that I was going to go to. It was for The Boys in the Boat, which is an Amazon movie. It was um, directed by George Clooney. Okay. And it is about like World War II era uh, members of a crew team. Okay. And I have a movie. I always say, watch your comps. I have a movie uh, in a similar vein. Okay. So I thought, okay, let me let me go check it out. Yeah. And it was also being held at the MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art. Okay. I, I am embarrassed to say that I've never been there. That's okay. But I live on the Upper East Side. I was like, perfect, let me go. A night at the MoMA. Is this a like night a, at the MoMA. Is this like a Thursday? Like, it was a Wednesday night. Oh my gosh, it was a Wednesday. A Wednesday in New York. I'm Classic home alone. Wednesday. I'm like, okay, let's do this. Yeah. So... I uh, RSVP'd and I got back this response. And on the response, it had a dress code. It said smart. It said smart chic. Okay. I misread it as just smart. Okay. Um, reading is fundamental. <laughs> uh, and so I'm running out the door. And I honestly, I almost decided not to go. Okay. Um, but I decided to go and I'm wearing black trousers um, <laughs> and a black TJ Maxx sweater the okay. tj maxx of it all is very important we and love black sambas so it's okay, so cool. you were new york chic i was You're new black, york chic black on black. one thing i will say is i do look like i was i, I looked like i was working the event <laughs> as opposed to being in attendance but you'll you'll see but my my thought process was i'm going to be sitting for three hours yeah, I like i want to be comfortable yeah. and it's cold outside yeah. so i i race over and again these wg screenings are so casual like people come in sweatpants and typically there's a speaker like maybe one of the actors or one of the producers will come and do a q a but okay. you're not interacting with them it's yeah. very casual and um but I immediately knew that this was unlike the other screenings when I got there and there was a barricade outside and uh, there were people like cheering okay. and waiting for You're someone like, for important. For me? Oh, you shouldn't have. Well, I just was like, <laughs> oh no. Like, oh no. And I peek in through the window and there are people in like suits and ties and gowns and there's a step and repeat. So like when you walk past and everyone takes your picture. Uh-huh. I was like, oh my God, this is the premiere of this movie. This is not just a screening. So I walk in, I get my tickets. They actually gave me two tickets, but I was there by myself. Sure about me. Great. I had a coat chair next time. <laughs> uh, and I'm sitting front row. I'm sitting A1. So I'm right in the front and I am so underdressed. Like, I'm And you're on full display. I'm so underdressed and I'm in the front row. Yeah. And so I 
start texting my husband and I'm like, I think I'm at the premiere of this movie. <laughs> and then I go to the bathroom to try to make myself look somewhat more presentable. I yeah. found a red lipstick in the bottom of my purse nice. and I, you know, do a little <laughs> elevated red lip. As I'm dabbing, I look in the mirror and I see this woman come out of the bathroom stall with just an absolutely iconic bob. Ugh. It was Anna Wintour. Not wearing the glasses, might I add. Not wearing, Not wearing glasses. glasses. So she put them on to fire everyone at Vogue, but she uh, she left them off to use the restroom. Wow. And what did her eyes look like? I well, I was like, is that her? Because she wasn't wearing the glasses. Yeah, is that her? But the bob, and, the bob but the bob, the bob is iconic. And so I'm sitting there like, uh, and she looks stunning. Yeah. And so and I think her daughter was there too. <gasps> and I was like, amazing. And so I run back to my seat and then I start texting everyone I know. Like yeah. I'm at a premiere and I'm so underdressed and I think I just met Anna Wintour and I'm wearing a TJ Maxx sweater. And I look up, I keep looking up at Anna and it's definitely her. She puts on her glasses oh and God. all of a sudden Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig walk in <gasps> and then Austin Butler in the walks bathroom? in. No, no, no. Oh. I, no, no, no. <laughs> We've left the bathroom. Cut to I'm back in my seat front row. Okay. And so then I'm sitting front row and all of a sudden the lights dim and this woman comes up to stage. This is Jen Selke, the head of Amazon. So Casual. if I'm trying to sell something to Amazon, she is my lady. Yeah. And she uh, just introduces the one, the only George Clooney. <gasps> I am in seat A1. This podium is like closer mm. than where you are sitting right now. No, did he like spit on you when he was like talking? Like this man is, this man is gorgeous. Like <sighs> this man has aged like fine wine mm. or fine tequila, I guess mm. I should say. Yeah. He, oh my God. And he, <laughs> but the one, the one kind of saving grace for me was he was wearing jeans. <gasps> and so I was oh. like, all right, I'm not that underdressed, but the yeah. two women behind me were like wearing furs. Like it was, mm -hmm. so the lights dim, the movie plays. And then when the, the curtains come up, I was like, wow, this in and of itself is yeah. like the coolest Wednesday of my life. Yeah. And there's an older man next to me and we get to talking and he goes, oh, so are you going to the after party? <laughs> and in that moment, I had a decision to make. And I just said, <laughs> yes. Yes, I think I yes, am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. It. And I followed the crowd as they left. Mm -hmm. um, like a weird, like a weirdo. I'm just like <laughs> by myself stalking these people. <laughs> and it walks down Madison Avenue. Like like a like a caravan of celebrities. It was a clump of people. So it was these were like other just people at the screening because yeah. the celebrities had kind of stayed behind or people had okay. left early. Um, and so I was just kind of following everyone. And we went in kind of a big clump and we ended up at the polo bar. <gasps> And if you're not in New York, the Polo Bar is like a very, uh, it's a Ralph Lauren, Suave. very exclusive, yeah, very swanky, very chic, very chic. It, like impossible to get into. I've got, I've gotten in once. I got one reservation once. Wow. Have never been able to get in since, wow. except for this night. And I get up to the door and I let kind of, there's a group in front of me uh -huh. and they're all like, oh, we're on the list. And so they walk in and I see this woman standing there with a the paper. And in my mind, I was like, your name is not on that paper. I just knew it. Yeah. Uh, my name was in the computer when they were signing yeah. me in. Okay. I'm not on that paper. So I walk <laughs> up and I'm like, hi, Julia Yorks. And she goes, ooh, I don't, I don't have you here. Sunk. And I was like, oh, that's, that's so crazy. That's so that's weird. That's so weird because here are my tickets. I was just at this event. Yeah. Uh, and ooh, that was smart. Smart thinking. Right? Because yeah. I'm like, look, Here's I'm not. proof. Here's proof. I'm not trying to be made a fool of here. Like, I, yeah. I will go. I will not make a scene. Um, but she's like, oh. And then I, while I was waiting in line, I had looked, checked my phone, that thing where it said, I thought it's smart, but it actually said smart cheek. There was a name at the bottom of it. It was like Amber or Ashley or something. Okay, we love her. And so uh, I was like, oh, like, I, here's my email from Ashley. Yeah. And she goes, oh, Ashley. Okay, great. Let me go check with her. She's inside. No, please don't check with Ashley. I don't know Do not her. Check with Ashley. I don't know this woman. And so she starts to walk inside and I was like, cool. I'm yeah. just I'll see myself out. Uh, and this other group of guys came up behind me and they were friends with one of the actors in the movie. They had been at the screening. They were told they could go into this thing, but they were not on the list either. Mm -hmm. So she got kind of flustered and she was like, All right, let's all go in. Storm. Just give me your names. Yeah. Storm so we stormed the Bastille uh -huh. and we went downstairs and it was so cool. It was so cool. Like to go to be in the polo bar is so cool, but then yeah. to be at a private event at the polo bar with like, George Clooney. With George Clooney. Well, oh, literally, there literally there was like a tower of seafood. Oh my 
big crustacean fan. Yeah. Like huge shrimp, crustacean girl. Shrimp, lobster, <laughs> like everything that you could want. They were coming around with their little appetizers. I always say that like <laughs> there was a moment where, like I said, I'm an, I'm an introverted I'm an extroverted introvert. Yeah. So going to this thing by myself was very scary. Yeah. I didn't know anybody. And so I tried to make small talk with people. I had a, a drink or two. For sure. Um, but for the beginning of the party, it was just me eating shellfish in various yes. locations. Yes. Yeah, so like a lobster over here, a shrimp over there. Yeah. yeah. Like I was like finding seats and, and eating. And, and at one point <laughs> I ended up sitting at a seat um, where all the food was coming out. Uh-huh. And so it, it was like an episode of I Love Lucy where I was just like eating. Every, they were giving me everything. Finally, I had to be like, guys, please, please no more. Please, no more crustaceans. Please stop. This I'm is embarrassing. This is embarrassing. Um, but also at this party were Katie Couric. Oh my gosh. Um, Austin Butler, Kaya Gerber, Noah Baumbach, Greta Gerwig. Oh. They were all there. And then of course, George and Amal <gasps> were there. George and Amal were big there. Amal, big Amal stand. She is the most stunning person I've ever seen in real life. Mm. She's gorgeous. Like, where she has the, it all. Where do those twins come from? I don't know. They, she it, it came out of thin air. She's stunning. Oh and she looked gorgeous. She was wearing this pink feathery oh my dress. The, we were exact opposites. Oh I was gosh. wearing all black and a <laughs> big sweater. And she was looked stunning. Um, I ended up meeting, I made two friends and ended up talking to them for the rest how, of the time. How did you go about that? Did you... Did you just insert yourself into a conversation? I thought that they were with the guys that I had met oh. coming in. And it turns out that they weren't. Okay. And then it turns out that one of the guys was um, an alumni of my high school. Cool. Like years before, yeah. years after me. Yeah. Um, but we just hit it off because we knew a bunch of the same people. Okay. So it was great. We ended up, all three of us ended up talking for hours. Okay. Um, Probably because they were in the same boat as you. They Yes. They were like, I don't know anybody either. Yes. And it was so much. I had a blast. Yeah. And um, I finally got to a place where I was like, okay, the night the night is wearing down. Okay. And everyone has talked to George Clooney. Like everyone in this place has said hello to George. I need to shoot my shot. Oh my I need gosh. to go talk to George. I would be so shy. I So I went to the bathroom and then I came out and um, he and Amal were just standing right there. Oh my gosh. And I was like, hi. Oh, hey, old friends, Georgie. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Like, wonderful movie. I didn't, ex and then I just started rambling. Yeah, I, I just, just like rambling. word vomit. Like, I didn't expect to be here, but <laughs> I'm I'm so underdressed. I thought this was just a regular WGA screening, and it's yeah. not. And I'm wearing a sweater from TJ Maxx, and I <laughs> ran into Anna Wintour in the bathroom. Like, literally, <laughs> like, could not stop myself. And, and I, like, I, I was, like, watching myself in my head, like, stop, 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 and stop, they're shut both up, like, shut up. They're, like, looking at they're you? Looking they're looking at me. They're both looking at you at the same time. They, they're so, yes. And he just started laughing, and he oh. goes, TJ Maxx, Amal's dress is from TJ Maxx, too. It was not, but it was, like, a joke. And so we're all, like, ha, 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 that's so funny. Oh, and I'm, so like, funny. oh, my God, that's so crazy. And, oh. um, yeah, it just, we talked about the fact that I saw Anna Wintour in the bathroom, um, and then Amal kind of chatted yeah. with me one-on-one -on -one <gasps> in a moment I will never forget. Oh my gosh. And she told me that I looked chic. <sighs> then you looked chic. She that's said that. I looked chic. That's that. So Amal said I looked chic in my TJ Maxx sweater. And then the craziest thing was, in I made a TikTok video about this, and the part that was so nuts. So I go home that night. I am floating on a cloud. Yeah. I was just You just over floated the home. Over the moon. Yeah. And the next day, I, I don't know, I was very hungover after mm -hmm. one tequila drink and two champagnes. Granted, they were serving the champagnes yeah. at the end in uh, like a wine glass. Okay. So maybe that will account for it. Yeah. Very hungover, laying on the couch, <laughs> get the call that I booked Law & Order. No, mm -hmm. I didn't know that. After my most amazing night, got the call that I booked Law & Order. And then I decide to go in and check my vision board that I had made at the beginning of 2023. And there is a picture on my vision board mm -hmm. of George freaking Clooney, <gasps> which to me was just so crazy. And wow. it wasn't that I wanted to meet him. It was that um, I wanted, I have a rom-com that I wanted mm. to sell and I, I didn't sell it, but I, you bet you so will. you have to be very careful about what you put on those boards. Mm. Um, and, <laughs> and yeah, so it was just this crazy full circle moment. It was such a crazy Wednesday night oh in New York. <gasps> And I really feel like being in New York gave me the confidence. Yeah. Because, Things you know, like in L.A. Well, in L.A. you'd have to drive somewhere. Like, yeah. I just walked. I walked just in. Walk. Yeah. And I said, no, 
I, I deserve to be in this room. And yeah. it was really crazy. It was oh. um, a night I will not soon forget. I love that story so much. <laughs> that is just the best New York City night. And that is the reason why we choose to live here. Because you can just casually hang out with George Clooney at Polo Bar on a 100%. Wednesday night. It's, it also just is... There's like an energy to the city. Yeah. Um, I love LA, but when I go there, it makes me feel like such a degenerate when I come home because like <laughs> everyone's in bed by 10. Like the bars are closed. In LA? Like, yeah, yeah. Like this was a night that just, it was a Wednesday night. I got home at like 3 a.m. Yeah. Who is she? Everyone's down in New York. Everybody's Everyone down. Is down. I always say, I mean, no hate to LA. I, I mean, I think. My, my friends who live in LA, they're so happy and healthy. And I love, I just love that. I think if I moved there, I'd probably be a lot happier and healthier. But there's something about New York. I always say in LA that people will say they'll come to your birthday party and they won't. In New York, they'll say that they're not coming to your birthday party and they will. <laughs> I love that. I think that is one yeah. of the best classifications of Again, New York versus LA I've ever heard. No offense to anybody living in LA. I lo- I'm going to LA in a few weeks. My husband's running the LA Marathon. No way. Yeah, we're very, oh, very excited so cool. about it. So the last thing that I want to do with you is co-author a bit of advice. Okay. So I crowdsource conundrums Great. from my following and I saw this one and I thought that you would be an excellent person to weigh in on this. I'll try. Okay. So it says, Dear Erin and Julia, <laughs> I'm in my mid-20s, graduated college during COVID, and have no idea what I want to do with my life. I'm feeling a bit lost. Mm. I've had two jobs in marketing, but I'm not really passionate about it. In most days, I just feel like I'm going through the motions. I see my friends from college who seem to have it all figured out. Friends, careers that are cool, they travel, they have boyfriends, and even husbands. I feel like I'm falling behind. I do everything right. I exercise, get plenty of sleep, eat healthy, work hard, and I even go to therapy. I feel overwhelmed because I don't know what the next step is because I don't really know what I want to do next. How do I find a sense of direction when it feels like I'm not passionate about anything? I've never been in love. My family is small and far away. I don't have any great friends who live near me, and my job is bland. What do I do? Oh my god. First, I want to say that I think a lot more people feel that way mm-hmm. than you realize. Um, and 25 is very young. And I know that probably sounds like not helpful advice, mm-hmm. but you don't have to have it all figured out. No one has it all figured out. No one knows <gasps> what they're doing. We didn't even plan that. No one knows what they're doing. It's really hard when you feel like you're falling behind. Um, but you're not behind. Mm-hmm. They're, you're just in different places and, and that's okay. And I would really try to find people who are in the place that you are in so yeah. that you don't feel like you're competing yeah. with other people. And mm-hmm. I think that you'll find that there are a lot of people who are in the place that you are in. Yeah. And it's funny. I feel like we tend to compare our timelines to other people's timelines, but we don't, don't actually know what their expectations are or what the intricacies of their life are yes. for example you can compare your your relationship status to your friend's relationship status meanwhile they're comparing their career status to your career status and yeah. you might be ahead of them in one area and they might be ahead of you in another area but life isn't a race to death yeah. like death is not hopefully the uh the end finish line that we're all trying to race to it's about enjoying the journey which sounds so cheesy um but I recently heard somebody, like an old woman on TikTok, you know, they always pick the phone sometimes and they give advice. And she just said, my biggest regret in life is just being in a rush and just not enjoying the journey because mm. like inevitably you were going to be looking back at your 25 year old self, just like you were and yeah. saying, oh, was this year where I was so lost? My dad always says, um, confusion is the greatest state of learning which is true. I love that. And you're building character, you know? So you got to think it's good for the plot. It is. You got to do it for the plot. But I also, like, I so resonate with the thought of you're doing everything right Mm -hmm. and it's just not working. Yeah. I feel that in my bones. And I still feel that at 35, which I don't know if that's any consolation. But there is no right. Mm -hmm. There is what you want and what feels good for you Mm. and if you're doing things that are right that don't feel right you don't have to do them you don't have to do them and and one of the things is too like there is something so interesting and we were just talking about this with the the job versus career is there something about your job that you like Mm. is there a facet of it do you Mm -hmm. like the fact that the hours 
are easier and then you can do a hobby outside of work or do you want your job to be your career that you're super passionate about it might take you years to find that thing that you're super passionate about Mm -hmm. but that's okay like and it's also okay to have a job Mm. and to have something outside of work be more stimulating I actually think that that's the right move you're not alone in this at all and you are doing everything right. And, mm. But that doesn't mean that it's all going to, that that's right for you. Yeah. I feel like I relate to that so much as a millennial mm. where we were all like, we got the grades and we went to college and then graduated yeah. into a time when the jobs just weren't there. Yeah. So it's not about doing things right. It's yeah. about doing what feels good for you. Mm. And I would try to figure out what that is. You don't have to be the most passionate about your job, mm-hmm. but you want to be passionate about something in your life. Yeah. Um, I I love the quote, the trick to having it all is knowing that you already do, which sounds really like, I don't know, flippant, I guess. Yeah. Um, especially when you're struggling really bad. But I, I do really believe in the power of gratitude as well. Mm. I find that really works for me whenever I'm like, mm, things are going right. And it's like, step back here. Wait a second, get some perspective. I find that helping others, volunteering, because sometimes when you're on social media, like you probably don't follow a lot of people who have it worse than you. Like you're probably following a lot of people who have it better than you or equal to you. So we're just constantly comparing ourselves. Like also people aren't posting their full lives on social media. I also feel like when, and I, I talked to a bunch of friends of mine who are in their late 20s too, but at 25, I can sense from the letter that one of the big things is the boyfriends mm-hmm. and and feeling like you've never been in love and not having that. And my advice is to not focus on finding the person for the future. Mm. Like if you want to date, date and do it for the plot. Like <laughs> do it for fun. Do it for the experience. Yeah. Don't try to force everything to be the person the one yeah Yeah, like you will find it you are so young and I know it doesn't feel like it but you really are yeah and you know you don't want to just be with anybody you want to be with the right person yeah it's so hard to feel like you're doing everything right and nothing is working but Mm -hmm. it is working Mm -hmm. it is working and if you don't like doing everything right do do a couple things wrong Mm. Yeah, make some mistakes. Your twenties are more messy. liberating. Your twenties are supposed to be like a risk taking. Like you're supposed to be saying yes to things. Like go move to Europe, go backpack the Himalayas. I don't know. Do something weird. Yeah. Well, on that note, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is really, really fun. This was so, so fun and so informative. And I think uh, the listeners and the viewers will really, really enjoy this. So where so. <laughs> where can people follow you and support you? Yeah. So I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter at at Julia Yorks. I'm on YouTube at Julia Yorks Writer. So if you're curious about screenwriting or working in the film industry, definitely connect with Julia because like I said, she's extremely transparent. She'll tell you exactly how it is today in 2024, which is important. She's an active working screenwriter. <laughs> um, so thank you so much again for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. <laughs>